Welcome to Gulf War Side Effects. I'm your host, Kevin Simon, and there's my smart-ass co-host, John. How y'all doing this evening, John? Doing good, eh? Hey, we got the round table. We are Mrs. Sarah tonight. She's out sick, so everybody say a prayer for her. And we got Wade. Wade, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. That's true. Well, tonight we got a special guest. It's Jim Brown. Jim, how are you doing? <laughs> I am hanging in there, sir. It's good to be on here. That's and uh, I want to say up front, Thank you very much for having this and making sure that we can get some information out to some Gulf War veterans, get some people informed and helped. Oh, man, you're welcome, man. <laughs> you're right. And, and you know, give a little bit of background. I, I like everybody to know who you are. I know a lot of people already know who you are, but let's get the other side of the civilians that listen to the podcast to know who you are. My name is Jim Brown. I'm, I'm a U.S. Army combat veteran. I deployed with the 10th Mountain Division, as you can see behind me, my guys. Um, we were given the anthrax and botulism um, vaccines before we deployed. Uh, we, were got, <clears throat> we got told about five days in that we were going to be going in the first part of August 1990. So they started making prep work, get everything together as quickly as we possibly could on the off chance that they figured out which unit we were going to be attached to, which really didn't make us feel very welcome or wanted, but you know, who knew? Uh, for about two days, my entire unit was down, had, had uh, flu-like symptoms, headaches, backaches, massive fatigue, uh, confusion, all sorts of problems, and then essentially bounced back, got to the point where we could start working again, and then worked for probably about the next two weeks straight many hours as we could during the day. When we deployed, that was uh, 25th of September, 1990, hit the sands running, uh, 140 degree heat. So for us being upstate New York mountain troops, we're winterized troops. That was a bit of a shock to the system. Going from working in 20 below to 140 above, yeah, that, that was nothing but fun. So uh, symptomology wise, we more or less stayed sick and got sicker during the time frame that we were there. Um, the heat, bad water, bad food, exposure to pesticides, pretty much everything you could ask for to knock out your immune system. And as that went on, we got to the point where we got moved around. Uh, we went to Port of Damam, Dahran, uh, moved up the Eastern coast, saw probably every unit in the entire field at one point or another, we were a support unit. Uh, we did military intelligence, um, maintenance. Uh, we had point of supply. It, we offered pretty much a one-stop shop for anybody that wanted to be able to get something fixed, taken care of, or transported. I know you've done a lot of work and a lot of research. And that that part I would like to get into with you about the anthrax. Because, you know, a lot of people are don't understand what the anthrax did to us and why it did it and what all it caused. Can you go through all that with us? Sure, yeah. Um, just to give you a little history on the people who made the vaccine, that, that is brutally important for people to understand. The lab that manufactured it is in Lansing, Michigan. It's called the Michigan Department of Public Health. It's actually a government-owned and operated facility. That's the public health part. Um, the anthrax vaccine itself was put together by two guys back in 1950. They formulated it, manufactured it, invented it, if you want to call it that. Um, they manufactured it at this lab 
until 1970, and that was the first time that they ended up even talking to the FDA. They got licensed in 1970 to produce it under license number 099. And 20 years had gone by where the FDA just left them to their own machinations. Then 1990 comes around, another 20 years, so 40 years since it started, and hundreds of thousands of doses are suddenly put into people's arms, whereas before this had only been used for people who were wool sorters or uh, people who dealt with cattle. You know, not exactly a, a, a big uh, spread as far as people getting this kind of vaccine. When the uh, MDPH, the Michigan Department of Public Health, was told, you're going to have to start cranking up production, they went nuts. This is something that they'd never had to deal with before. They had no idea what was going on. So they said, okay, um, we sent out anthrax vaccine to all these different farms and uh, labs that are experimenting with stuff where they just work with anthrax, including U.S. Amrit. They, they supplied um, the anthrax vaccine for all the researchers at the United States Army's Bug Palace. That's what most people nickname it. The recall of those vaccines was the linchpin, the key to everybody getting totally screwed over by this vaccine. Because during that time frame from 1950 to 1990, that 40 years, they had never had anybody experience any kind of symptoms like gold or syndrome from this vaccine. Never happened, just never happened. So something happened in 1990 that either changed the vaccine, the way it was administered, something made a difference. And I can tell you exactly what it was. In 1987, three years before the war started, there were researchers at U.S. Amrit, a Dr. Bruce Ivins, uh, Dr. Susan Walkos, and a Dr. Greg Knudsen. Those three researchers had figured out that the anthrax vaccine was not really as good as the military thought it was. When they started going the other route, they said, it can actually handle you know, you don't just hand out bulletproof vests and say, well, we hope hmm, that it will keep you safe. Let's actually shoot some bullets at it and see what it'll withstand. If you say it's a good up to a 45 caliber, but it'll only handle a 22, you might want to change a few things. So they looked into it and did research, found out the vaccine will not protect against inhaled anthrax, which is going to be the manufacture way of attacking your enemy with anthrax. You're not going to walk up and sprinkle it on their food or something. You're going to put it in a dust cloud. They breathe it in and within 24 hours die from it. Mm. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So they, um, they did research on the inhaled version of anthrax and found out vaccine just absolutely was not up to par. But they could make it. But the big problem was one third of the individuals who got the vaccine or the more virulent type were going to die from the vaccine. Mm. It was that toxic. So they're throwing their hands up in the air and trying to figure out, well, holy crap, what do we do? You know, we need to protect the troops. They decided we'll do some genetic manipulation. We'll take the genes out of the anthrax itself. And uh, there's a thing called PA or protective antigen is taken out of that and then inserted into another less virulent bug than anthrax, Bacillus subtilis, also known as Bacillus colbigi. Uh, <laughs> it causes hemorrhagic conjunctivitis, which is known as bleeding of the eyes. They consider that less 
harmful than anthrax. So let's go with that. They plugged the genes into this new bug. It produced protective antigen and it protected almost 95% of the individuals that got it. Now, they used a novel adjuvant known as squalene, also known as MF59, in that so that they could get a really good immune response. And since they were in a lab, they weren't really worried about what was going on with the animals because whatever animal they tested it on, they were probably going to kill anyway. So they weren't looking at longevity. They were looking at results at that moment. They tweaked the vaccine at a later time once it got to production. They never got there. The war started in 1990. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt mm -hmm. you a little, Jim. So you started, you, you, you said you knew the, the reason and you've explained it 87. And so in, in 90, 90, when things were kicking off, you're saying that it was 95% effective, which gives a 5% not so good thing. That's the experimental one, not the, not the usual one. They were trying to find one usual. to replace the old one. The old one. Okay. Yeah, the old one was not was not up to snuff. The new one, the genetically altered one, was one that, that would give you 95% capability. So once they figured that out and said, all right, we're going to start manufacturing this in pilot lots and you know spread it around to other researchers so we could get some peer review. When the war kicked on, DOD said we need all, big air quotes here, and this is the important part, all anthrax vaccines sent back to the guys in Michigan. The experimental stuff went with it as well. Oh, That's there's the, the big caveat. Right. The experimental stuff went back with it. Yes. There's the real. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, that's so this go, yeah, this went back to the plant and their usual method of being able to do this, they gave this, and again, bigger quotes, a shelf life. So they produce a vial of the vaccine. They sent it to somebody that ran a ranch or was a veterinary doctor or somebody that would actually run into anthrax every now and then. I mean, you know, like once a year or something, a cow would get it or something. Oh, dear. So they would send these bottles. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, deer. Deer run into anthrax all the time here in Texas. That's the crazy part. And they'll find them yeah. dead everywhere. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Happens in nature. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a natural occurring bug regardless of us running into it or not. The, you're right. Animals run into it. Uh, cows out in the pasture, sheep, all that stuff. So usually the farmers are the only ones that will run into it more than anybody. Uh, cattle herders, uh, people that run horse ranches, that kind of thing. But it's really not that big of a problem. It's not that prevalent. Hoof and mouth is actually a bigger problem for them. So once DOD said we need all anthrax vaccines from everybody that you've ever sent anything to, that meant that all the pilot lot uh, portions that these guys had come up with also got put into that batch. If it right. had the name anthrax on it, some idiots out there throwing it in a box so and sending it back. This all got mixed in as so this is this is really important information, Jim, in the respect to, you know, obviously mm -hmm. Sarah knows unfortunately all too well about the vaccine and all the negativities involved with it and what but but um you know everybody phrases things different and now the way you're phrasing it, um and people tell uh things in different mannerisms, you know, um it kind of shines another uh, light on the vaccines because um, we're all like, you know, the, 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 the news media will shine light on what's ever going to show them the biggest 
audience, whether it, you know, whether it's, you know, something the government just passed or, oh, we we've acknowledged this finally. And that's OK. Now we're going to blame it all on this. And now we're going to blame it all on that. And now we're kind of listening to you. You know, it, it's going to I shouldn't say refocus things, but shine more of a light on the vaccine injured uh, veterans, which we've had. Obviously, Sarah is. We've had another vet or two on and you're sharing this and you're sharing the breakdown, uh, I guess, because I've never necessarily and I'm sure Sarah could do an excellent job of explaining it as you are. It's just different, um, different experiences. So um, mm -hmm. it's interesting. It's just it just makes me cringe that much more. <laughs> well, I, I, just, I, oh, yeah. I, I like oh, no, it. Oh, no. It, it, it gets worse. Oh, no. Trust me, it, it gets worse. <laughs> the, uh, the returned anthrax followed through the methodology that the lab always did. When they sent stuff out to these farmers, the farmers would send it back at the expiration date and, in essence, swap new one for the old one. Well, where these guys at the lab were concerned, the old one was the new one. All they did when they brought the bottles back in, they would pop the top off, stick a litmus paper down inside of it, shake it real good, see, you know, hold it up to the light, see if there are any chunks in it. If there weren't, yay. The litmus paper would come out. They test what came out on that for what they consider to be potency, which is like a three-step thing, takes about 30 minutes. And then they take that bottle, dump it into a vat along with a whole bunch of other bottles. And I'm not kidding about this part. They would get a boat or a literal boat or stir it up like a witch's cauldron, make sure that everything got mixed with everything else, and then rebottle it and send it right back out. Wow. There is no quote unquote shelf life with this. Holy so, wow. Yeah. This are you guys familiar? Are you guys familiar with uh, Amish bread? You take yeah. a small piece of it and you hand it to somebody, they put oh, yeah. dough around it, they make another piece of bread, and then they take a piece off of that. And, okay, that's basically what they did with anthrax. That's the methodology mm -hmm. for manufacturing this stuff. Once you get the first pilot lot and you put a number on it, that lot is what you keep remixing with itself. When the emergency came up, this plant only had manufactured you know, a few hundred thousand doses total that they had sent internationally. Once they got licensed in 1970, they started sending it to other countries. They started sending it to other countries as well as the United States. So for them, that was considered big business. You know, it's still kind of a mom and pop operation when you look at the numbers. For them, they were doing pretty good. When DOD called them up and said, okay, we need every dose that you have possibly got the access to. We need it today and we don't care what it looks like. Get it to us today. Lives are depending on it. Do what you got to do. These guys jumped out of their butts and said, fine, we'll do exactly that. Everything that came in the door that said anthrax went into the vat, stir it up, put it back in a bottle, boom, out of the door to DOD. So we had individuals how, how that were confident. getting possibly. Let, mm -hmm. let, me, let me ask you this question, Jim. How confident are you? Now, I know you're, you're, you're sharing with us information. How confident are you um, in what you just told us as far as being quote unquote that's the truth, period, end of story. I mean, do you think do you think that story has changed over the course since you've learned about it? Or do you think, nope, this is exactly how it took place? It's just a question. Um, I have 100% capability of saying that that was a truth for one specific reason. I have talked 
several times with the guy who was the lead researcher, Dr. Bruce Ivins himself. Wow. So, well, yeah, you, you, I, I don't deal with peripheral stuff. I go straight to the source. I talk to that, the people who are involved in it. I get the names, the phone numbers. That's the way I deal with things. I love that idea. Now, you made an analogy earlier, and I would like for you to talk about when you brought up about mm-hmm. how the FDA... I would like for all the listeners to understand this because, see, I don't care what anybody says. We're we're talking about veterans who are vaccine injured by the anthrax shot and that everybody that stands up and says, damn, I'm a patriot. I support our troops. Well, I, I would like for you to, to kind of say that, how you put it earlier. And I love the way you put it. I never heard it put, I never heard it put like that. Oh, you're talking about the uh, car analogy? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, basically, if you look at a veteran as a piece of machinery, what is the problem with going into a doctor and presenting just you, the first person they've ever seen with this symptomology and saying, look, I've got this, 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 and this wrong with me and getting the doctor to look at you in a realistic manner and saying, okay, I can handle that. We'll start at ground zero and we'll figure you out. Essentially, this is the same thing as driving up to Pet Boys or someplace like that, pointing at your car and saying, hey, there's something wrong with my car over here. And the mechanic looking at you and saying, no, I've never seen that happen with a car before, so we're not going to treat you. We'll wait until 15 or 20 more come through the door. Then we'll talk about the fan belts and the battery and all the other crap that's going on underneath your hood. Until then, hey, you're SOL, go sit in the waiting room. If your car dies, you're good. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Honestly, I'll I, I tell you what. I, it, we are a piece of equipment for the military. Right, right. They own us. But the part that pisses me off, yeah. the, the part that pisses me off the most is own up to it. I mean, hell, the VA has already put stuff together about the yes. anthrax vaccine. Own up to it. Just tell us what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, which I told you earlier, which I'm going to tell all the listeners, I went to a Navy reunion this weekend, and I had a really good time. If you go to Las Vegas, you just to let y'all know, uh, ooh, a lot of people smoke dope. But anyway, so, <laughs> so <laughs> when we when we got to yeah. talking, it's amazing how we all had the same issues. Some had uh, uh, real bad severe migraines, uh, neurological disorders, uh, IBS. I mean, GERD. And it's so funny how all of us seem like we had the same issues. And and you were talking about, you know, like even later on, you may not get it now, but eventually you're going to get something from this. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're standing right next to a person and a car is coming towards you, why would one person say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be folded over that car's hood? And the other person will look at it and go, yeah, I'll be fine. It'll be cool. You're right next to each other. You're out. If you're out in the desert and you hear a chemical alarm go off, oh, it's going yeah. to harm everyone. It's yeah. not, you know, that guy over there, he's screwed, but I'm good. No. If you're getting a vaccine in your arm and the person in front of you and behind you is getting the vaccine, um, same thing. You know, be concerned about somebody other than your own self. That's how we were trained in the military. I'm, I'm sorry. There are parts of the Army that are completely different than the one that I experienced to begin with at Fort Drum. I would personally like for everybody to go to Fort Drum for at least 30 minutes just to know what it's like. 
just to see what, oh, this is how we're supposed to be dealing with this. It doesn't matter if you're the first person or the last person on the battlefield. You do your job. That's it. You support the other troop that's around you. You take care of your brothers and sisters. You back other people up because if we don't have each other's backs, who's going to? No one. You step up, you step in, or just step off and admit you can't handle it. Right. Amen. That's, 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 that's part pretty of much it. what we're doing right here. We're taking care of other veterans. We're stepping up and stepping in. Right. And that's the other problem. So anybody who's listening, that is, uh, I don't care where you're listening from. If you're on a go for page or you're on a desert storm page, it doesn't matter. We were all in this together and we need to be together. Stop being separated from yeah. each other. That burns my, that burns, that, that just burns me. I'm not even going to say what, what I want to say because John get mad. But anyway, yeah. I, I, it, it just yeah. does. Now, Wade. Right there with you, sir. Yeah. Wade, you've been silent. I don't know why, but I'm ready <laughs> I, I'm ready for you to rock and roll on this. Well, I'm just taking it all in a little bit. I've I actually followed Jim for quite, quite a while um, with his gold watch and his uh Facebook, Oh, that was you in the bushes? And I actually used a document that he had. I'm sorry? Yeah, oh, in the bushes? That was you in the bushes. <laughs> And Sorry. That, that one was, uh, it had something to do with the effects of pesticides as well as buying mm. low pesticides locally and how it affected the troops and the DOD knew it. And oh, yeah. I actually well, used that paper. Was that Kevin? Well, the Department of Defense, uh, this, this me. Oh, okay. um, Department of Defense actually came up with an idea of how to impregnate our uniforms with a mixture of 3M glue, the company 3M worked with them on this. They were manufacturing a pesticide that was mixed with 3M glue that they would then steam press onto our uniforms before we ever got them straight from the factory. They would be impregnated with this stuff that quote unquote, lasts the life of the uniform. That means you can wash it and that stuff, it doesn't come out. This is up against your skin 24 hours a day, the whole time that you're wearing it. We were never told ahead of time that's what's going on. So <laughs> imagine somebody who is wearing a uniform that is already saturated with a pesticide. Permethrin is what they were using. On top of that, they handed us bottles of cream of DEET mm -hmm. to slather all over ourselves and told us we needed to use the entire bottle. They gave us spray cans to spray ourselves with as well. So... <laughs> Between just that alone, if you did that stateside in front of any doctor, they'd tell you to go to the emergency room. You'd be calling poison control saying, um, my hand is twitching. I don't know why, right. <laughs> you know, but out in the field here, have another can, spray yourself and do what you got to do. They're even telling us we're uh, flea and tick collars right. around our ankles to make sure that the yeah. bugs didn't get on us. What? Yeah. So one of the yeah. real kickers. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. One of the real kickers in this. Now, everybody's dealt with the commissary, the PX, and AFIs, right? Right. Yeah. Every, everybody's dealt with those, right? Well, classes up there somewhere. <laughs> well, AFIs is essentially the military's grocery store. Um, they're the exchange service. You would expect them to know about canned goods, bread, and things like that. They put out a very concise, very straightforward memo that stated, and this was at the beginning of the war. They put this statement out saying, anybody that wears a flea or tick collar is going to put themselves at risk. It's going to lower their ability to 
deal with low level chemical exposure and it could lead to death. Now, yeah, if the whatever the army's exchange, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if their grocery store knows this, why didn't Schwarzkopf and the rest of these morons that were running things actually get off the can and say, oh my God, we're putting people at risk? Huh, why don't we stop doing that to our own troops? If the grocery store knows this, and they were using technical terms in there, cholinesterous inhibitors, not something you run into in a grocery store. So, you know? So, Kevin, I know you may or may not be familiar with AFES. AFES is, stands for Army Air Force Exchange Service. It's like going into your <laughs> local uh, grocery store. Hold on, wait, your, wait, 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 wait. Wait. Yes, I say, said it. I didn't say anything about Navy. Air Force? I said Army Air Force. Army. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So, y'all had an exchange. We call it an exchange. Y'all had something with the Air Force. So, y'all must have had nicer shit than what we did. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. I it wasn't bad. <laughs> I don't know about that. Do you know what a class? Do you know what? So, Wade just made mention of Class 6. Do you know what Class 6 is? No. No. What's Class, a class 6? Store? Six? Go ahead, Wade. That, that booze. Joe's going to get their booze. <laughs> it's all they sell. Booze and cigarettes. Oh, we yeah. Uh, well, they get hey, a lot of my money. We had a drive through Booze and liquor. You just drive through it and <laughs> pick it up. So y'all could kiss my butt. Really? Get out of fuck anywhere. Oh. It was on Guam. Oh. Hey, in the Army, we had to actually walk for our beer. Oh, oh no, my God. See, I, I don't know I walk. In the Army, we had to walk. Walk to get our beer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we and rode you guys a boat. just got to drive up to a freaking window. <laughs> hey, we pulled yeah. up. Hey, it, half the time I loaded some of it up on my cargo ship, and then watching it. I mean, that's the sad part when you load beer up and you're watching it, and you haven't had one in three, you know, four weeks, and you're like, "Son of a bitch, where are they taking? What cargo hold they holding that at?" <laughs> Three or four weeks, my aching ass. Three or four hours, maybe. <laughs> you went for three four weeks without a beer? Oh, yeah. Bullshit. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, no, 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 no. We, we no. have gone three to four weeks without a beer. <laughs> it ain't my fault y'all were in the sand. Nobody <laughs> told y'all to go in the damn sand. Okay, so. You're walking around. Okay, so. Don't let him fool you. Okay, so. So Jim, I like I, I want to because I seen your name around a lot, and and a lot of people know who who you are, and you've been a very big advocate. <laughs> I know for a long, long time, and I I know <laughs> that it's disappointing that a lot of the veterans, you know, don't come together on this. But how do we bring them together? What would your yeah. what would be your solution? The biggest thing we've got going for us is media. And I, I know a lot of people look at the media nowadays as it's, you know, red state, blue state, the heck with that. Let's do purple. Let's call it even. Yeah. Bottom line, information is key. It always has been. If you put information into somebody's hands and you tell them it's pertinent, it's something that's going to help them personally, and they can do something real with it. They can put their hand on it and actually do it. It's not just this amorphous idea of, well, you know, 10 years from now, maybe, this is something you can do today. If you put it into those terms, people will rally to that pretty quickly. If you give them something tangible, if you actually put something they can put in their hand, take to the VA. Now, one thing in, in particular that I've tried to make sure everybody I talk to either has access to, has done, has used, knows about, or just 
you know, any of the above. The CCEP, because the um, CSEP is what I nicknamed it, the Comprehensive Clinical Evaluation Protocol. This is the three-phase guideline that the Department of Defense, a um, does a storm troop who comes in and says, hey, I got problems. Maybe you got answers. Can you help me out? You know, it, it, it's kind of a standardized way of doing it. They can deviate from it if they find something else going on, sure. But these are the baseline tests that they're going to have to do every time. One of the most startling things that you can run into is get 50 people that have gone through the registry exam and ask them, did anybody mention these guidelines? Did anybody give you phase one, two, and three? 49 out of the 50 are going to tell you, what's a CSAP? I never heard that there were guidelines. I showed up. What they do with me is what they do with me. So that basic piece of information, that to me, that's the most basic piece of information that we need to get into everybody's hands. Once they see that there is a standardized set of tests, this isn't, you know, just you walk in the front door, maybe they'll take care of you, maybe they won't. There's no figuring it out. It's already been figured out. For us, the military mind is, okay, is there a standard? Once you establish there is a standard, that means, oh, it's been in the system for long enough, it's been recognized long enough, people understand what to do with it. Once you give the troops that kind of assurance, they start getting a little more confidence in being able to speak up and speak out. And as John and I realize, there are some things a lot of people don't want to talk about. I mean, we're, you know beat the chest and oh we're macho nothing's wrong with me hey i'm i'm coughing up blood and every, every everything's cool no problem no big deal when you get to the point where you can no longer function and that's when you start asking for help usually it's too late right the standard has to be if you went to the war you go through the registry exam you have in your hand when you walk in there the csep guidelines so the va guys and gals cannot bs you and say ah we don't do that kind of crap here no sorry the documents right here say it's law you have to do this empower the soldier empower the troop give them what they need to go in there and actually get what they have earned by their service right. first and foremost once you do that, the rest is going to fall into place. Yeah, I totally agree. And for everybody out there, I just want all y'all to understand one thing. We still go into the VA and the doctors still don't know what go for illness is. They still don't know mm -hmm. if it really happened. That's our problem right now is they have a pact act and they yeah. talk about the burn pit. But on there, it should have had big letters saying, Desert Storm veterans and the oil rig fires and the burn pits and the anthrax shots and the P-tabs and the sarin gas and the mustard mm -hmm. gas. They took it out of the bill. Yeah. So for all y'all, that's real. I mean, Camp Lejeune, thank yeah. God. I I'm so happy for them. But the rest of the bill, cock shit. Yes. Same here. Same here. It is. It, it's a crock yeah. shit. Because well, if one you other thing, go go ahead. Yeah. Go go ahead, Jim. Oh, sorry. I'm, I was just gonna augment what you were talking about. With, I do have a um, question for Jim. So oh, go ahead, bro. Um in June, I believe it was June, Mayor June, uh Dr. Haley, you know, came out and said that the cause of mm. both illnesses for is sarin. And I, I dealt mm. with several researchers mm. and uh have you know, I've gone through different testing. Um, and I reached out to them to ask their opinion, and <clears> they're all in the mm. Same school of thought of, you know, they don't believe it's it's the sole source because a lot of Gulf War veterans who right. never deployed, but they did get inoculations are sick. Right. You know, 
uh, people who exactly. went to Kuwait yeah. went to Iraq. Um, so I know Kuwait saw more <laughs> of the oil fires and the smoke than we did in Iraq. Um, so what I'm what I'm wondering is, so he's been doing this better than 30 years. He's coming up on retirement. He comes out with this bold finding. Now, are they going to, is this like the VA, his way, the government's way of just putting this to bed and saying, okay, this is what caused it eventually down the road. Yes, you were exposed to sarin. We're just going to give you a nice token disability rating and it's all going to go away. Kind of like the Vietnam veterans with Agent Orange. They finally admitted Agent Orange and now they're they're admitting sarin and then now they... You know, some, not all, not me, not you, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's something else to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I totally agree with you. One of the most basic statements that I have been making since day one is there is no single source or single cause to go for syndrome. I mean, if you want to equate this to something, um, look at the legal methodology of guesswork, if you want to call it that, um, stab, shoot and poison the fourth person, and then throw him off the 10-story building. What is the cause of death? That's what DOD has been putting us through since day one. We have been forced to do the research. We have been forced to find out what's wrong with us. Without the resources to be able to do this, without 90% of the documentation, there were people that were only exposed to the PB tablet. There's one very standout uh, example of that is a Colonel uh, Neil Tetzloff. He flew from, I think it was Germany, over to Saudi Arabia. During that time frame, he took three of the PB pills. He ended up throwing up blood to the point where he passed out. That was the only exposure he had. He didn't have any of the vaccines. He didn't get exposed to the environment, the oil well fires, any of that. And he has the exact same symptoms that I do. I got the anthrax and uh, botulinum vaccines, actually about eight of them the same time, which they shouldn't have done. Uh, oil well fires. Um, I left theater before Kamasia, which was in March of 91. I left on uh, February 18th of 1991. So I was not physically in theater for any of that. I was there for the first oil well fires. But bottom line, all of us had the same symptoms because each one of those insults to our health causes the same symptoms. It's literally as simple as that. If you're exposed to depleted uranium, the heavy metals, the toxins themselves, they will bottom out your immune system and you'll have the physical response and reaction just like we're having. If you're uh, exposed to organophosphate pesticides or chemical warfare agents, same thing. Your cholinesterase gets bottomed out, your immune system follows it, you're going to have the same symptomology. Are any of you familiar with the research that went into diagnosing or finding a method to be able to diagnose the illness known as lupus? Nope. That is, if you look at the history, if you look at the history of lupus and the history of diagnosing us, it is almost exactly the same path. Lupus is diagnosed not by one symptom, but by a constellation of symptoms. It's like five to 10 different things that can be clustered together, but any combination of any of those within that is considered a diagnosis for lupus. So where we're concerned, if you were only given the anthrax vaccine and didn't deploy, then you know your symptomology is gonna be what happens to you. The person that was only exposed to the sand or only this or only that, it shouldn't really matter what specifically caused the problems at the beginning because the treatment's gonna be most exactly the same 
for each one. In the case of uh, organophosphate exposures, whether it's pesticide or uh, the PB pill, or excuse me, um, pesticides or the um, nerve agents, that's going to be esterase replacement therapy. The PB pill, esterase replacement therapy. It's the same thing as if you called up poison control and said, hey, I ate half a bag of malathion. What do I do? It's exactly the same thing. And seriously, you have a migrant worker running around out in the fields picking vegetables or fruit. And yeah, it's exactly the same thing. You can call up poison control here and say, I've got these symptoms, which all of us would have if VX, any of those nerve agents, those symptoms would be exactly the same thing as the migrant worker who got overexposed to a pesticide out in the fields. So here we have an 800 number and people standing by 24 seven to receive our call to give us help in an emergency room that knows how to use the treatments, atropine, which is part of the Mark I kit, 2-PAM chloride, which is part of the Mark I kit. We had the treatment on our hip the entire damn time. This isn't a mystery for DOD. This is not a mystery. They've known about this particular aspect of nerve agents since World War II. So, yeah. We're talking 70 years. Kevin, are you, have you ever been, and I don't, I don't, um, uh, Jim just said we had the whole, we had, we had it on our hip. Do you know what he's referencing? I mean, Wade and I do, and Jim clearly does, but do you know what we're referencing? No. Kevin? No. Okay. It's auto injector kit. It's our, and I don't know how long that damn needle is, but so this, this, this antropine injector was, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong. Huh? Yeah. All I know is they say, clear your pocket. And I didn't want to ever have to use that (laughs) son of a bitch. I know that. Yeah. (laughs) Because they they would say, we would practice. (laughs) We would practice with a dummy, clear our hips, and give ourselves a, a you know, a pretend shot. And I'm like, I hope to pray I never actually have to do this. And of course, we never did. But yeah, it's a really long needle and puts that garbage into your body. And it, what's it? What's it supposed to do, Jim? Or what was it? Its intention? Well, atropine is a, a belladonna extract. Uh, basically, it's a flower that they uh, take the chemicals out of. It's supposed to bind with the organophosphate that's in your body and reduce its effectiveness. Um, If you look at the nervous system, you have um, incoming line and an outgoing line and you have a gap in between. Acetylcholine is excreted as the muscles need to contract. It fills that gap and the nerve impulse goes through. Then it comes out and gets replaced by the next piece and the next piece and the next piece. When you have an organophosphate come in, something comes in, hits that and stays there. It never goes out. So it causes muscles to remain in contraction and you die from that because you can't breathe, you can't move, your body just turns into a solid rock basically. With this kind of a treatment, atropine would sit in that place and keep the organophosphate from getting in there. To do it temporarily. So it's just if there was damage to that nerve, it would bind around. That's what its intention yeah, was, yeah, just to much. extend our life, basically. Look, to fight a little bit more is the way right. I kind of thought it through. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, so, Navy didn't yeah, have it's... anything like that, Kevin? No, no, man. Hell no. They need it for all the way out there. They have yeah. yeah, I mean, you don't. You, the corpsman right would have it. Jim. Yeah, I, Jim, uh, yeah, correct yeah. If I'm wrong. We had a hospital. Well, the, uh, didn't uh, each troop carry three sets? For the atropine auto injector. Okay, why? Um, to answer your question, John, 
the needle long enough that it will go through your chem suit because that's typically what you're going to have on if you're in that environment and your your fatigues and then a deep muscle injection into your thigh so you're well over an inch right. and a half possibly two inches before that to that to get you oh wow isn't this like that's like that where i can't I was gonna be sarcastic. That that's like two inches, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I could. This is the needle on the, <laughs> the, the needle on one of the atropines is literally the length of my pinky. The hell with that! Yeah. So, well, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're we're talking a ten gauge needle. A, a ten gauge needle is approximately three inches long, and it can squirt about an ounce things an ounce and a quarter in about half a second so yeah it's it's under extreme pressure and it's not fun if if you hit in the wrong place it will actually penetrate the bone and oh, you'll be wonderful. yanking it out of your leg which yeah. is and, and, oh yeah you yeah so I think yeah you, something you, like that you got nerve agent to deal with and yeah, it, it's no fun. You know, the, the, the atropine and the two-pan chloride, those two together will actually, after the fact, after exposure, will reset the body's chemical basis. In other words, it, it's kind of like um, if you stir up the mud too awful much in a, in a glass, you have to wait for it to settle. The atropine and two-pan is kind of like putting a coffee filter on top of it that you can push down and make everything go back where it's supposed to be. So it, it's uh, it's kind of a settling the system, reset the system kind of message. Um, okay. Chemically Didn't speaking, it also, Jim, it's that, not with the atropine. Sure. Did it also uh, mm -hmm. help to, because like if you get exposed to a chemical agents, it, it could potentially stop your heart, slow your heart down, but the atropine would kickstart the heart and, and, and start get, get your pulse rate back up help circulate it through the body faster right and two pam chloride is basically the same thing as a valium it's ah, it's in the okay. same basic category so the the atropine takes you way up and stimulates your system and then the two pam chloride brings you back down afterwards so you don't over stimulate and get a heart attack because of that so that's why I was saying it's kind of a reset of the system. It, it smacked it around a little bit, but gets it back <laughs> on track. And the reason we had three of them is depending on the person's body size, um, their mass, and how much exposure they had, um, you may need three of them, which wow. means that, um, you know, the, the old trick, you have to put the first one through your, uh, through your pocket so your buddy coming over knows you've already had one. The whole reason that you do that is because you'll be laying there on the ground sweating your butt off and you won't be able to talk. You won't be able to communicate with anybody. You'll just be laying there sweating. So the person walking up to you is looking at you going, well, he's already had one. Here's two more. And they'll take care of you. <laughs> I like That's that. I like the way those, they uh, yeah. just walk up. up yeah. And, so, and, yeah. And, and, um, and I know our video. So we're, we're, hold on, John. Hold on. I know our video is kind of messing up. But our audio is good, mm -hmm. and so I just want everybody to 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 know that because this is an important message. Amthrax shot of, I mean, the Amthrax poison. That's what I'll call it. Is it is important for each and every person mm -hmm. out there who took the shot to know it was tainted. Yeah, and I, I mean, absolutely. And it, it pisses and, me. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, the, there's worse. There, there's, <laughs> there's worse. Um, 
when oh yeah oh yeah well i am the bearer of gloom and doom i i hope you understand that i'm the grim reaper when it comes to your hopes and dreams yes thanks <laughs> hey, jill have to tell you that, uh, yeah all right let's yeah, get I'm, to the war is that what you're saying what you're saying jim is then come halloween you just go out as yourself and yeah, yeah. Put, the, put the grim reaper outfit on and that's what you are every halloween yeah, pretty much. All right, let's get to the worst. Whenever I show up, hey. okay. get to the worst. Well, um, the the FDA went in after the war and did an inspection on the Michigan plant. The Michigan Department of Public Health manufactured both the botulinum and the anthrax vaccine. They make a whole lot of other things, and there's some, oh my God, horror stories about that. But bottom line is, these guys have been making this vaccine since 1950. They didn't get licensed until 20 years later in 1970, and they didn't you actually have to do mass production and mass distribution until the war. We got the vaccine. I got the vaccine in, so, um, excuse me, first one in August of 1990. So for me, it was six years later. The FDA finally realized, oh, my gosh, maybe that vaccine we licensed these guys for could be part of Gulf War syndrome, we might want to run over there and just, you know, for the heck of it, let's let's lift up the hood and see if anything, anything underneath goes. <laughs> well, it turned out there was a whole lot of, <laughs> oh my God. The very first sentence that they have in the inspection report in 1996, <laughs> oh my God. For anybody that's even vaguely familiar with manufacturing, this is something that will make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. The process for manufacturing the anthrax vaccine is not validated. Uh. Yeah. For someone in industry, that basically means, oh, so they're shutting you down. You can no longer manufacture this. You can't make this. It's not safe, legal. It's just not a good idea for you to be involved in this in any way, shape, or form. That's what that one sentence means. They started off the report from there, and it went downhill from there. They went into the plant. Oh my God. Um, by the way, I've got both of the reports, one from 1996 and one from 1998, posted in my Facebook albums. You can take a look at those if you really want to read a horror story. The, um, the inspectors went into the plant with the idea that, okay, you know, it's, it's a Michigan Department of Public Health. We have government standards and they're supposed to keep up with them. Uh, turns out they didn't know what those government standards even were. Uh -huh. When the inspectors went in there, they picked up, oh yeah, it's, like I said, gloom and doom, that's me. They picked up vials that were supposed to be ready to go out the door. They were sitting on the shelf, ready to go out the door and be put into somebody's arm. They would pick these vials up, shake them, hold them up to the light and see chunks floating around inside of this thing. There is zero likelihood that that is supposed to go into somebody's arm. So they decided, why don't we find out what those chunks are? They took a couple of samples. <laughs> one of the contaminants that, that <clears throat> one of the contaminants that they found in there was Nessarea gonorrhea, also known as the clap. Oh How in God. bloody hell? <laughs> I know. How can you possibly get a class, we're talking a spore-based organism that is a biosafety level three. There's only four. There's only four. This is a biosafety level three spore-based organism. You have to be completely head-to-toe covered going anywhere near the production facility to manufacture this stuff. And somehow the clap 
gets into a vaccine. Really? Part of me wants to know how that happened, and another part of me is like, no, nope, I don't nope, want to know. Nope, I don't do not want to know. Mm-mm. Oh my god! No, it found fungal, viral, and bacterial contaminants in ready-to-go vaccine products as well. They make uh, powdered albumin, and they also make uh, they also use a brake tank in the back to manufacture IgG. Now, all of us, including Mr. Navy, there knows what an IgG shot is. Because it's that ice cold golf ball at the top of your butt that they give you. <laughs> you gotta know that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immune glo- immune, immune globulin. I can't shot. say it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. syrup. I know. IgG. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is manufactured out of blood that's donated by at least a thousand people. That way, they despeciate it. There's so many people that are donating to this that you get a little bit of everything, and that literally blanks out this being specific to any one person or any one type of person wow. so you have to have a massive amount of blood to be able to do that they had a 400 liter brake tank back there um you know what the little um the natural gas lozenge that people have in their yard yeah. looks like is it's a thermos sitting on the side has a big Appropri- thing yes, on the top the of it you yes. flip the lid open yes you yeah. have them all but- yeah. Right. This thing looks exactly like that, except it's a 400 liter size. The top is open. They have a metal strainer in there with holes basically about the size of a pencil stuck in it. So, you know, big chunkies. The people that worked there would grab bags out of the freezer of frozen blood, cut the bags open, plop the frozen blood into the strainer, and then just walk off. They'd leave it there so it would melt into the tank. Eventually, they get enough in there. Then they could close the lid, hook it up to the hoses, and run it through the system to be able to manufacture the IgG. Problem with these guys, and this is huge, the inspectors are walking around. Now, these are FDA inspectors. They're walking around inside of the plant, and the people who work there are going nonchalantly about their business. They are grabbing the plastic bags and just cutting them open, letting them drip onto the thing, You know, just throwing the bags into the garbage can next to it. You don't have a sight glass on this, so you can't tell when it's full. So these guys are putting just chunks on top, chunks on top. Anybody that walks by would put more in there because it takes a few hours for the stuff to melt enough to make enough in there. There's blood slopping over the edge of this thing. Two hours go by. These inspectors walking back and forth, hoping, praying, somebody is going to come in there with a mop or at least a paper towel and wipe the thing down. Nobody did any cleanup in any way, shape, or form. There were flies buzzing around. I mean, again, this is a government facility that's supposed to be making things that people use. You know, it's not just a hobby. This is their job. And this so, is the way they were doing it in, of the inspectors. So, we're <laughs> wow, I think we could go on for a really long time here, Jim, but I think we're getting near the end. So one yeah. of the things, one of the things I, I, I guess there are a lot of takeaways here, but uh, one, of, one of the most important um, is that whoever's listening to this, whether it's yourself a veteran or know a veteran, you may, we've all talked about it before, um, but you've reemphasized it on, on this particular show. Um, the fact that if you don't necessarily have any symptoms, or, or you probably have symptoms but aren't aware of it, things are going to get progressively worse. Yes. And if you know a fellow veteran and know that they can, you can see that they have issues, bring it to light and, and step up and say, hey, let's get something figured out. 
let's move forward on this. So I, I think that's really important because that's what this is all about, spreading the word as to how can how can we help one another? You know, we're trying to help one another doing Absolutely. this podcast. Um, right. And so I think I, there, here again, there's a lot of takeaways in this podcast. But uh, <laughs> Woo. I just I just uh, I, I, um, I totally agree with you, brother. If uh, uh, I don't even know what to say right now. I, I, I'm still stuck on the gonorrhea <laughs> shit. You, you got so many questions. But you're right. <laughs> I, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, well, I, I I would like to do this. Here you, brother. I do. Would Would you be available for mm-hmm. next Tuesday night, Jim? Absolutely. I would like to. Absolutely. I would like to bring you back on and continue this conversation because there is a lot going through my nope. mind, but I just can't get the battery out of my mind. I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had it, but I'm just really pissed. And I, I was wondering, Wade, would you be okay with next Tuesday? Absolutely. John? I do have one question for Jim before we go. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. Yes. Um, do you on, on your, your Facebook cover page, which I encourage everybody to find you, there's just a, a wealth of information on your page. Um, you have the the Life magazine. Do you still have that? Yes. I I, I think I have Yes, it's still on there. Um, I can send it to you as a PDF if well, you need it. I, th- I think that'd be important to show. I, if you have a, your copy, I might. I, I can dig to oh. myself. I think I might have my copy because the birth defects, and like I, I say every show, the birth defects that have been going on with our kids, that is my main mission. Um, but yeah. this, I want to say, don't quote me on the date. Jim will probably know. But I want to say that issue would give or take 1996 time frame. And oh, it was 95. No, I was, I was pretty damn close. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. They, uh, yeah, that's a you know the the birth defects trace all the way back to then, and it's it's a raw, it's a very uh, dramatic cover. So next I week, I thought I had it around here. Well, we're gonna bring I that up. I Right. I, we're going to bring that into the next topic, Wade, about the birth defects. Okay. I, I mean, Jim, Perfect. you are a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. I have learned more tonight that I never didn't want to know, but I wanted to, <laughs> that my mind is <laughs> spinning like hell right now. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I want to thank uh, you. Thank you for coming on this evening and everybody be ready for part uh, two.